Hi, everybody. Welcome. Is that Mickey Mouse on your Apple Watch? What? Yes, it is Mickey Mouse. Welcome to the Revival Podcast. Yeah, we're sponsored by Disney <laughs> and Mickey Mouse. Yes, I, number one, it's fun because I like the idea of magic making. I love that. Are we allowed to start the podcast like this? Why not? I don't know. It's great. These are great, great things that are happening. This is a legacy I'm trying to make. <laughs> Okay, let's fill you in on what we talked about right before we started. It's this idea of this talk that we're doing today by Elder Godoy, for the sake of your posterity. This is what it led me to ask, is this question, like, what legacy are you trying to build? So anyways, we're now bringing you in on this conversation that we started before we pushed record. So I just had to catch you up that that's kind of the vibe of what he talks about in here is this idea of it's generational thinking. So we were just... <laughs> it's so foreign. It's right, very foreign right. to... It's, I don't know if it's our age or if it's the generation we grew up in, but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what is the legacy I'll leave. Yeah, but I wish I could interview... I want to interview like a World War II veteran. Yeah. Because I get this vibe from... I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know where it's come from. Like, But in, floating around in my soul is this vibe that... Those who fought like in World War II were doing it in part for like generations to come. They had this nobility about them that they were like, we need to create a land that our grandchildren can grow up in, in yeah. freedom, you know? And maybe they didn't and we've like projected that onto the past, but I feel like they did, you know? And I don't know where that comes from. Like it's probably movies or something. I just but they were a better generation. I, right, like, right. It's like, people, people like the greatest generation. I'm like, there's something to that. It's real that, do they actually think of, you know? Yeah. Because I'm going to be a little bit too open here, but sometimes people will say, I don't know, you know, like save the earth kind of talk where people are just like, we need to leave the earth are really good for our children and grandchildren. And I just, and I should hide this plastic water bottle that I'm drinking from right here on the show, because technically I'm like, true, true. I really should, but I don't have a really strong emotional like draw or desire to necessarily do that. Is I that, can't believe I, you don't. You are an awful <laughs> I, said, I, just, I bought Nawala no, it's, a Nawala it, water bottle like to save the earth. But um, it's you, like not natural for I don't know if it's our generation or maybe we're just particularly wicked, but I just think we don't think like and I think maybe there's a part of it is does it seem like I'm glorifying myself to say, oh I care about the impact I have or I want to be remembered. Or I want to leave a legacy. That seems not the best. Well, I don't know. Maybe unpack this in my soul for just a second. Yeah, yeah. Like, There's a line in my patriarchal blessing that talks about leaving an imprint in the sands of time. This is the kind of sim a line that's kind of along those. And I'm, I'm actually drawn to it because I do, there is a part of me that wants to say, like, I came to the world and I made a difference. Like that I actually can emotionally connect to. Right. And maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. I think so. I, I think they're related. I think because maybe, I, I, I do feel that. But yeah, I think that maybe why we're hesitant is we think it sounds sort of like self-aggrandizing to say I'm gonna, I want to be remembered. But it's something different to say. Oh, I, you know, maybe I don't care if people remember my name or not, but I want to bless future generations and people and. And the most but, important but, people are my family. Yeah, right? I think maybe it's hard because if they're faceless. You know, I haven't, I haven't yeah. met them yet. I don't know who they are. And it makes it difficult to, 
And maybe that's why I can, sometimes you can connect to the past a little bit better because you can pull out an old black and white picture and you can see, because aren't you drawn to the, sac- I'm, I'm like tenderhearted toward the sacrifices of people up my family tree. Right. I, right. When I hear some of the things that they did that I'm benefiting from, right. I have a tenderness in my soul toward that. And it motivates me to like, oh, I would like to do the same. But when I turn downward, I mean, I do want to for my own kids, but I don't see, I don't know the names of, yeah, yeah. you know, I've never held in my arms. Right. Like two, a generation down and I won't get to for three generations down. And so maybe that's why. The name of this talk is for the sake of your posterity. Which I would, I want to say this maybe. On a test, on a quiz, should you care about your posterity? Of course. And you're like, the answer is an easy yes. Yeah. But am I motivated? Are my decisions motivated? Like, is there a strong motivational, like, you know, desire in me to change the way I live for the sake of my posterity? I, and I don't know if it's there for me. I think the best of us sees that and gets that. And maybe we just need to develop that. He talks about being in a taxi that he was sort of got into by accident not got into it, <laughs> falls into it. Excuse me. Right? No, but he was supposed to be in another taxi, but he ended up in this taxi. And uh, they start talking about the church. And he says, at that moment, I realized I did not take the wrong taxi. It was not a coincidence. I told him who I was and that I was in his taxi because the Lord was calling him back to his fold. Which is such an amazing story. Right. You know? And bold to right. say. It's yeah. like, oh. Absolutely. And Although the line that I highlighted in here that I love so much is just, at that moment, I realized I did not take the wrong taxi. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, it makes me want to think through the times in my life where it felt like it was wrong. And then I realized, like, oh, maybe that was orchestrated right. by and, God. And what's amazing is that sometimes... And, and probably often, way more often than we realize, God is orchestrating certain things in our lives that will affect generations to come. Hmm. I think about the small things that have happened, you know, in my family history that just put people in the right spot at the right time to accept the gospel. And it's like, wow, the Lord is putting us, quote unquote, in the wrong taxis all of the time to affect generations. Okay. And so maybe we don't see it, but he certainly does. I want to say like, I want to go two different ways at the same time. And so maybe I can just put my finger on this word and I'll remember the second way. But can we walk down this path for just a second? Mm. One, you almost gave me a little bit of anxiety about (laughs) all the things that happened in the past that orchestrated like the life that I live right now. It does make me start thinking, I better like, hold on. There's a lot of pressure on me to choose the right things and, and to make sure I, you know, live out my life in the right way. And I guess it comes down to, I don't know, what's your feeling on the, like the marriage between agency and, and God's orchestration? Yeah, because when you read something like this, that raises the question. And I've seen different ways that people try to handle that. It's actually a very old theological problem. Like God's in charge. He has perfect foreknowledge. He's orchestrating everything. And yet we're also agents. And there's like, there's a variety of different philosophical and theological ways to try to work through that. But my favorite explanation goes like this. Okay, you ready for this profound insight? Yes. It goes like this. God has perfect knowledge and orchestration and we are perfectly agents. And that's just, and now we don't know how it works out. (laughs) That's just it. And it's like explaining calculus to a baby. They just don't have the capacity to see how that comes together. Or even something that we, one time on a podcast a while ago, you talked about falling in love. 
Mm. And I really loved that explanation or that analogy of it. It's not even an analogy because it's a lived experience. Right. Some level of it's like seems out of our control and some level it seems like it's in right. our control. At, right? Yeah, at the same. And so, and I think there's a divine mixture of the will of God working through our lives and then also just our choices and agency. And it's a beautiful mystery. Yeah, because maybe part of God's will is that you choose. So it's like you choosing is actually falls under the umbrella of the will of God also. Yeah. He's yeah. like, oh, it's actually my will that you figure some things out that you, you know. Yeah, choose. and I'm so want to nerd out because there's all kinds of like, do it, do <laughs> it, do There's it. different ways of trying to make sense of this. But for me, the most soul satisfying thing is God's in control and we can make decisions. Now, how does this work with this talk? We don't usually use that word as much sovereign. I feel yeah. that word used in traditional Christianity a lot. Especially reformed circles, yeah. like reformed it's Protestants. Like a, God is sovereign. Right. over, And I, I actually like it. I don't know how other people hear that word. Maybe they go back in time to like King George V, who was like <laughs> chopping heads off or something like crazy like that. But when I hear sovereign, I think that God's like, I won't let this get out of bounds. Like I have the whole world in my hands kind of <laughs> idea where he's like, I'm going to contain that you, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, like yeah. The image of sovereignty is like. He I, has it. Hey, right. But there's also like a proactive. Because you can look at the world and say, this world's out of control. <laughs> You know, and I do love coming back to a sovereign God in moments like that where he's like, it's not, it's not out of control. It's not unfixable. It's not unredeemable. It's not, I can see the past, present, and future. It's all one to me. And like, okay. I think that's a really good way to reconcile it. It's God's uh, sovereignty and our, our agency. Um, okay. So you're going to tie it back to the talk, but this is in the talk, by the way. Can I just say my other path, which might. Yeah, absolutely. We'll connect. Where he says, I didn't take the wrong taxi because I actually believe in a God who can take some of our wrong choices and then just knit them into the pattern of like, like into the quilt of this, you know, it's like, yeah. I can take, you maybe did get in the wrong taxi, but all's not lost because of that. I can take that decision and I can turn it into something good. Yeah. So it's going to benefit you. And future posterity. The last 116 pages is the perfect example of that where, mm. you know, something went wrong and God knew that Joseph would repent. And so he planned for something better, right? Yeah. And so the key there is not sinning. It's just the constant repentance and getting better. But I like that idea, especially for this talk, because that you may read this and think, oh my gosh, I could really blow this for future generations. Like I could really derail generations of people and I think there's something to be careful about the things that have been given you. And, and you have been given, you've been gifted a posterity probably or whatever. And you, 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 know, you ought to take care and think of other people besides yourself. That's true. But also, I think it's okay to believe that, hey, God's going to look at my desires. He's going to give me multiple chances. There's just something about this idea that if you get in the wrong taxi, God can still turn it for good. Yeah, and Hopefully I, that made sense. It does. Mm. And it would be kind of a boring life. And frankly, it would be a meaningless life if there wasn't anything at stake in our day-to-day -day decisions, right? What gives our life mm. anxiety is also what often would- Gives is, excitement. It's yeah. also what gives it meaning, right? Yeah. The fact that like, if I don't call my kids together for family prayer and scripture study regularly, then there's a lot at stake in that, right? <gasps> this is actually really cool. That's a really, really, this is your best line of the day. Thank you. This is actually really meaningful to me. 
for you to like point that out. And I, and this, just that idea that, hold on, we should want something there to be at stake. Can you imagine a story where it's just like a guy gets up, he goes to work, he comes home, watches the news. Do people watch the news? I can't believe what you no, said. No, that's fine. <laughs> comes home. He's 85. <laughs> he gets the horses and <laughs> takes them for a spin. <laughs> and so, and that's... And, if there's no conflict, if there's nothing, yeah, right. That, if like, there's nothing oh, at stake, yeah. then, then like life is really, really boring that mm. way, right? Because I kind of got scared of this talk a little bit, you know, like yeah. a little. But you're kind of flipping it to the other side of the coin, which is no, it's just turning on for me, where I'm just like, okay, in order to enjoy the meaning of this world and relationships and future, there has to be the other side of that of that coin. Has to be risk. Yeah. Yeah. And so him presenting the risk, it's not my personality to present the risk, but in presenting the risk, he's actually get, showing this is why there's meaning to the things that you do. Right. What you do matters. Yeah. And there's and, a lot on the line. Of course, in this story, the the man he is in this taxi with, he comes back to church and then the family gets baptized and then they go to the temple. And then he says, the decision of one has impacted a whole chain of descendants. Well, he's speaking to people who actually don't make these kinds of decisions. He says, the decision of one has impacted a whole chain of decisions. A legacy of faith uh, has been broken. He's talking about people who leave the church. But then you can flip it. You can flip it too, yeah, right? Because the other side of it is true. It's like, whoa, if you're you that decision. Yeah. He says this line, that decision could have an impact on their posterity forever. Now, if I didn't read the rest of that paragraph, that's either good or bad, right? But like, that's empowering to me. That your decisions can have an impact on your posterity forever. That says to me this, God has endowed you with so much opportunity to do good in this world. If your decisions today can have impact on unborn generations to come, it also means that your decisions today can have an impact on people in far countries. And there's just the potential that's in your capacity of mind to do good in this world is immeasurable. Right. Yeah. That's what that says to me. Yeah. And quite poignantly in this talk, there are some moments where he gets real and direct, right? He sort of talks about... And someone should. Like, we get, need you that. Know, we right? need that. Yeah. Right. We absolutely need someone to just tell us how it is sometimes. He says, some may think we don't need to attend church every Sunday or we will pay tithing when things get better or I will not support the church leaders in this subject. Those with thoughts like this do not realize the negative impact this lukewarm type of membership will have on their lives and on the lives of their posterity. The parents may both. remain active. I think that's important. It's both. Right, right. And they'll notice more of it in the present tense yeah. than necessarily, you know, the future, but both are, both are true. Right. And the truth of the matter is, is we're all lukewarm on some level sometimes. Yeah. Often but, throughout the day, right. right? We're just like, yeah, change temperature all day long. <laughs> <laughs> It says the parents may remain active, but the risk of losing their children is high in this life and in eternity. And so there is, I mean, something about the natural man and woman when our kids see our own sort of mediocrity in spirituality, that they'll jump on that and use that as an excuse sometimes, right? Yeah. But the opposite is also true. When they see greatness and sacrifice and diligence and a love of God that's motivated from the nature of God and his love towards us, our children will also grab onto that and mm -hmm. see that. I mean, when you think about your own parents, it's the moments of great sacrifice and spirituality 
that you're like, wow, that's incredible. That's amazing that they were that consistent or diligent or willing to give up that much for the restored gospel. And it's also like the story that he says at the very beginning, the man who decides to go back, he uses this line, he felt it was about time to go back to the church for the sake of their children. And he probably thought for himself too, but I think those kids are going to look at their dad and say, also, I saw that you realized you were off course, dad, and you made a change. Like there's a great lesson in observing that in a person also, where someone says, yeah, listen, I had a realization. And right. now I uh, I changed the way I, I live and I changed the way I think and great. Yeah, in fact, Joseph Smith says in section 121 that those who cover their sins will lose their power and influence, right? He's speaking about priesthood holders here. He says those who cover their sins. And that's so interesting because in our culture, we think, oh, don't let anyone see your mistakes. That's how you get real influence. It's not true. When people actually see our vulnerability and then us repent and get better and confess, that's actually the thing that allows them, that encourages them to follow us even more. Well, and I think it's the thing that actually shows the majesty of, of God and the grace of Jesus. If I can see where he's mended a story, if I can see where he's turned ashes to beauty, then honor and glory goes to him. I'm like, oh, I, I see Jesus moving and working in your story. Yeah. Let's get real for a second. He says, not that we weren't, you know, the last <laughs> first 20 minutes of this were fake, <laughs> you know, but he, he quotes Elder Ballard and he says, for some Christ's invitation to believe and remain continues to be hard. Some disciples struggle to understand a specific church policy or teaching. Others find concerns in our history or the imperfections of some members and leaders past and present. The decision to walk no more with church members and the Lord's chosen leaders will have a long-term impact that cannot always be seen right now. And hopefully that's not interpreted as a threat or something like that, right? No, I think in part, like you were saying earlier, it's just a reality. It's not a threat. It's like you ought to, you ought to realize that your decisions right. do impact other people. For sure they do. And P.S., what a beautiful way to live. Like the opposite of that is this is my business and it's my life. And it's like, well, it's not actually. We're all so interconnected with each other that the way I live does have an impact on people around me. And I think that's a really, to be other people oriented is a beautiful way to live. And I think that it's important, I think, to realize and recognize that. Yeah, there's a lot of people who try to try to figure out what it means to be human. And the people I trust the most on this subject will frame us as inherently relational beings who are connected to others. Yeah. Going back to that Elder Ballard quote, there might be people who say, I'm barely hanging on. There's mm. something about the church that's hard for me or something in, in our history that I can't make sense of. Uh, for that moment, I would go to Gethsemane and I would think of Jesus when he says, Father, is there any other way? Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? The reason why I love that is because it's an incredibly vulnerable moment. The scholars say that that would have been shocking in the first century because the heroes are great warriors and people who go to battle and Jesus is showing his vulnerability. And he yeah. says, is there another way? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And it's, I don't know. I just, I don't lose your train of thought. I bet it's the kind of Jesus that I need sometimes. One that shows me it's okay to open up to the Father and say, I'm having a really hard time with this. I need another way through. But then to see that 
you know, that struggle of him getting to that place finally where he says, but I, I trust you on this. You know, sometimes I need Jesus on the Mount of Beatitudes. <laughs> Consider the lilies, you know. But sometimes you need Jesus in the garden struggling with the will of the Father. Yeah. No, that's perfect. I can't say it any better. And what affected generations endlessly was his saying, Father, is there another way? You know, but nevertheless, I'm still going to do the right thing. Mm. And there was eternity was at stake at that moment. And Jesus continued to Gethsem through Gethsemane and to the cross. And the moments that will most affect our children are when we just don't feel like it. We don't feel like moving forward. We just pick up our bodies and just keep walking and keep going. And it doesn't mean we have to lie or fake it. It means... Because Jesus didn't. Right. He was honest. He was real about what he was really feeling. And we just say, but, you know, I'm going to have faith and I'm just going to move forward. Mm -hmm. And that turned into an endless blessing for all of humankind. Yeah. And Easter morning came when he saw, ah, okay, it was worth it. Yeah. I have a feeling that, I, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that when we look back on our lives, we'll be able to pick a few key moments and say, wow, I'm so thankful that the Lord uh, inspired me and carried me and brought me forward to do what was right and good and reflect his grace in the world because those moments deeply impacted the people I love most. Yeah, and the payoff of that is like, oh, so sweet. All right, that's reviving. See y'all next week.